Let's get it. May 1st, 2019, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a good week outside of podcast land. If you hear a change in my voice, it's because I am still dealing with allergies. I can't even really hear my true self really right now. Uh, I'm doing everything I can, taking some honey, doing some allergy meds. Uh, hopefully, we can write the ship in the next week or two. Couple, uh, couple things in the email inbox this week. A lot of it was from Burbiz. Uh, most of it concerning Burbiz. And thank you for those that met me in person at Burbiz that are emailing me. I will get back to your email. Uh, have been in and out because of this aforementioned allergy. Uh, it's it's killing me. So. Once I get back on track, I will be answering those emails. I uh, did get a pretty good review. Came from Squint006. More than I expected. I enjoyed the first episode I heard, Jennifer Marshall, and look forward to the next. I was expecting a droll, pure information podcast, and this is not it. Thank you for the work you do and look forward to interesting topics. Thank you, Squint006. We look forward to bringing you more interesting topics. And if you have an interesting topic that you want to bring to me, please email me at podcast at va.gov. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about it and see if we can't get it on the show. If you have any questions about anything about the podcast, always feel free to email me or leave a review. As stated in previous episodes, once we get to 75 ratings and reviews, I'll release a snippet of the Adrian Cronauer Mel Brooks interview. We are currently at 63% and I can't wait till we hit 75. At 75, I'll release a snippet of the interview between Adrian Cronauer of Good Morning Vietnam and the legendary director producer Mel Brooks. Uh, This interview was dropped on my lap shortly after I became the host and I thought it was a, a good thing to use as ransom. Uh, for ratings and reviews because I want to know how better to improve the show or if I'm doing a good job or or just let me know. Um, Once we get to 100 ratings and reviews, I'll release the entire episode. And it is a uh, a hidden gem that I can't wait to bring to you. And it's a hidden gem piece of content that I can't wait to bring to you. One news release this week says, For immediate release, VA and Cigna partnered to help prevent opioid misuse and improve treatment of veterans with chronic pain. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and Cigna, a global health service company, recently announced a new public-private partnership to improve safety and quality of care for veterans with chronic pain who are at risk for opioid misuse. The partnership, which was formalized March 7th, educates veterans and their families as well as the public and healthcare providers about safe opioid use improves provider and patient interactions related to opioid use, and helps improve delivery of care and health outcomes for veterans. Uh, You have, uh, then again, you read a little bit down and it says, VA's Opioid Safety Initiative has reduced the number of veterans prescribed on opioid by more than 50% over the past six years, with 90% of this reduction attributed to a decrease in new patient prescriptions for long-term opioid therapy. VA is managing pain more effectively by using multiple strategies and alternative therapies such as yoga, meditation, and acupuncture. VA healthcare providers also participate in state prescription drug monitoring programs and training to manage the opioid crisis. Through the partnership, VA and Cigna will also promote existing supporting resources, such as the Veterans Crisis Line at 
1-855-244-8255 and Cigna's Veteran Support Line at 1-855-244-6211. Again, that's the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and Cigna's Veteran Support Line at 1-855-244-6211. For more information on this, visit VA's pain management at www.va.gov forward slash pain management forward slash opioid underscore safety forward slash index dot ASP and at www.va.gov forward slash health partnership forward slash index dot ASP. In addition, I'll take both those links and I'll put them in both my show notes and in my blog at blogs.va.gov. So last week, I touched on VA's National Cemetery Administration's partnership with the nonprofit Carry the Load. From April 25th through May 22nd, the NCA is partnering with Carry the Load to honor veterans leading up to Memorial Day. Carry the Load's mission is to provide active, meaningful ways to honor and celebrate the sacrifices made by our nation's heroes, military, veterans, first responders, and their families. They are currently conducting three national relays totaling 11,000 miles across this great nation. 26 VA national cemeteries in 17 states will serve as relay points along the route. In conjunction with the arrival of the Carry the Load relay teams, each national cemetery along the route will unveil a commemorative plaque, a tribute to the fallen, honoring veterans and Gold Star families. This week along the Midwest route, Carry the Load will be at Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 2nd at 5 p.m. at Fort Snelling National Cemetery. They will be arriving in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 6th at 4 p.m. at the Wood National Cemetery. Again, both of those are Central Standard Times. Along the East Coast, the Carry the Load will be at Annapolis National Cemetery in Annapolis, Maryland on May 4th at 4 p.m. They will start on the south side of the Lincoln Memorial on the 5th at 8 a.m. and they will start their walk through Arlington National Cemetery. Also on May 5th, they'll be in Alexandria at the Alexandria National Cemetery at 1.30 p.m. and will be in Culpeper, Virginia at the Culpeper National Cemetery on May 6th at 9 a.m. All those times are Eastern Standard Time. Finally, for the West Coast, Carry the Load rallies will be held at the Sacramento Valley National Cemetery in Dixon, California today, May 1st at 11 a.m. On May 2nd, they will be at the San Francisco National Cemetery at 8.30 and the Golden Gate National Cemetery at 4.30. On May 7th, Carry the Load will be at the Los Angeles National Cemetery at 7.30 a.m. And finally, a week from now, May 8th, they will be at the Miramar National Cemetery at 7.30 a.m. Now, this week's guest is the CEO and co-founder of Carry the Load. He's also a former quarterback at the Naval Academy and a former Navy SEAL. And he's going to talk to us about what carry the load is and how they got involved with the National Cemetery Administration. So without further ado, I give to you Mr. Stephen Hawley. You know, having a couple of grandfathers that both served in World War II, um, you know, the thought of service was always in the back of my mind, but it wasn't until high school and I ended up actually getting recruited to play football at the Naval Academy. And oh, did you? I did. And went up there and took a, a visit and, 
you know, spending, spending a week in there and really learning about that opportunity and what it entailed and the opportunities after you graduate is an opportunity that as an 18 year old kid, I couldn't, couldn't pass up. So that was really the, the, sure. the catalyst for, for going there. And it was you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made. So what, uh, so what position did you play? I was a quarterback and a running back up there. Were you? I was. What years? 2004? No, I graduated in 2000, 96 to 2000. Got you. Um, were you recruited anywhere else besides the Naval Academy? I was. Um, growing up here in Texas, it was actually 95, 96 was the end of the old Southwest Conference. Oh, man. So, uh, my so father-in-law's from, he's from Texas. He misses the swag. There you go. So, you know, some of the smaller Southwest Conference schools, um, SMU, Rice, some other school, yeah. uh, smaller schools, but uh, ended up at the academy. Who was either your best friend or your greatest mentor while you were in? At the academy or once in service? Once in service, either or. You know, there there were several... Um, but I'd say I was lucky to have, you know, coming out of the academy, going straight to Buds, coming to actually arriving, getting through the the SEAL training pipeline. Yeah. Um, ended up arriving at SEAL Team Five November the first of two thousand one. So wow! So you went to you went to SEALs pretty quick right after you joined the Navy. Yeah, I went I went straight from the academy into the into the pipeline. Went through Buds jump school, advanced training. And, you know, all that takes, um, you know, about a year or it did at the time. It's, it's similar today, but, um, about a year to get through there and got, got through there in, in checked in November the 1st, 2001. So pretty interesting time frame as it relates to the events of September 11th. And as a, sure. as a young officer going straight into a platoon had several, um, really good mentors and, um, you know, both officer enlisted, but as a, as a young officer coming into a platoon, you really rely heavily on the senior enlisted in that platoon to guide you, mentor you, uh, get you, up, get you up to speed pretty quickly. So there was, there was some, a couple of pretty key senior enlisted that, um, were a part of that mentorship and, and, you know, the two guys that, I think about most often in that role are two guys that um, one in particular I'm still very close with today, but um, stay in, stay in touch with both of them. Got you, got you. Uh, what was what did they teach you? What did you learn from them? What was uh, uh do, you know do you want to give out their names even? Uh, yeah, you know what they're they're now both uh, retired. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll give the name both of them. Uh, Dave Gutierrez who was a, uh, an E seven, a chief at the time, the team five and, and a guy named, uh, a guy named Will Spencer, who was, uh, an E six at the time in my first platoon. Uh, both of those guys, I would tell you, um, they expected a lot, but they also, you know, they also were there both professionally and personally to help, you know, as a, as a young officer, it's a, especially in the SEAL community, that that line between officer and enlisted somewhat blurred because of the training, sure. because of the uh, the relationship once you get into a platoon, and 
navigating that blurry line and and knowing when um it, it, knowing when to act appropriately was was um it was something that they helped guide me through um but aside from that you know just on the training side and your skills and your proficient proficiency you know leaning on two guys that had been in had been in the community for decades was something that uh was instrumental in my in my uh progression as a seal officer interesting uh inter- very interesting um another thing that was in your bio was uh was that you were, had four deployments to Iraq and Southeast Asia now Iraq is something that you see in you know from from you know our generation a lot but not Southeast Asia was that was that counterinsurgency operations at the time it was it was uh working with some host nations down there a lot of it in and around uh, throughout the Philippines yep um working tracking targeting Again, with the help of some of the host nations down there with some Al-Qaeda affiliates in that part of the world. So, when and why did you know it was time to leave the service? Uh, You know, it's an interesting question. I thought that I was going to be a career SEAL officer. Like the 30 years (laughs) full-time? Yeah, 20 to 30 years. And... Gotcha. Uh, after deploying four times, it was in the midst. It was after that fourth deployment when my wife and I, she got pregnant uh, unexpectedly for the first time with our first child, and that really, yeah, that really changed my changed my perspective, changed my priorities, and um, that was that was the catalyst for me making the decision to to get to get out of the navy. Gotcha. It's always different when, uh, when you're single and you're young and you're 20 and, and you know, you got, you got the world by the horns, but it, it seems always that, that when you, when a family has started, it always seems to really change, like you said, change your perspective. It really does. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've gained through the time that's passed since that decision is just how much respect I have for the guys that were, raising families and living that lifestyle. You know, we were gone. Absolutely. We were, you know, as you know, you're even when you're home training, you're gone constantly. And then you stack a bunch of deployments on each other and you're, you're very rarely home. And so having the utmost yeah. respect for the guys that, um, continued to stay married, continued to raise, ch- you know, raise and have children while they were simultaneously, um, serving their nation in that capacity. It's something that um, I just have a, the utmost respect for because I don't know how, you know, that's the decision I made. I don't know how I could have done it. And for them to, yeah. for them to make those sacrifices is something that, um, you know, I have greater and greater respect for as, as time goes on. And I'm sitting here raising a family of five myself. So family of five, man, that, yeah, that would be extremely hard to keep deploying with a family of five. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what was the, so you got out, what year did you get out? Uh, got off active duty in 2006, mid 06. And then. So that was, that was right before the the great recession. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> what was the, what was the hardest part about that transition? You know, there was several interesting things about that transition. Um, for me, it was coming out of a, coming out of a profession, coming out of a job as a, as a seal that, 
if I could write the perfect job description, I was doing it. So coming out as a civilian and trying to figure out what I was going to do professionally, not only to provide for the family, but to hopefully get close to the same level of job satisfaction. And what I realized since then is (laughs) uh, I haven't found it really, it, it, you know, it doesn't exist. And, and I say that in the sense that, um, I would, I wouldn't change a thing about that decision, but, you know, getting out of civilian and just going to work and making money and raising a family, that's, you know, my highest priority, but the, but the level of job satisfaction that you get from, you know, coming from, you know, living, eating, breathing, deploying with 16 guys that you're very close to and getting to do the things that you were trained to do all over the world. It's that can affect national security and, you know, that kind of, that kind of, that kind of feeling's hard to beat. So, you know, back in episode 140, uh, Danny Chung, who's the chief of staff of military affairs at Microsoft, he told me that, um, you know, he's been out for 10 years. And when people ask him, how, how's your transition? How was your transition? He goes, I'm still transitioning. Do you feel now? I mean, you've been out for a a while as well. Do you feel like you're still transitioning as well? Uh, The short answer there is yes. I don't, I don't think you ever, you ever, um, I think it, there's aspects of it that become easier where, you know, with the benefit of time and experience. Um, but I, again, f- speaking for me, coming out of that perfect dream job as a SEAL officer, um, I believe that transition will be, <laughs> will be ongoing forever. Uh, there, there'll always be, there'll always be a part of me that, that, um, uh, um, is, is the former SEAL officer. And so, um, finding, yeah. finding direction personally, professionally, um, and how you, how you incorporate those, those values and those life experiences that are important to you and those priorities, uh, into your life post-service is something that you're always, you're always, um, you're always dealing with. So in addition to you and, and, uh, a fellow Navy SEAL, Clint Bruce, uh, you guys founded Carry the Load. You've also done some other nonprofit in the Dallas area, correct? Yes. You know, after I got out of the Navy and got into the uh, commercial real estate world here, uh, worked in a varying capacities on a volunteer basis with a num- number of nonprofits. But ultimately, you know, through a series of, event- of events with Clint and you know, that, that transitionary period where, you know, the one thing that was consistent throughout that transition is I would have lunch or meet with other veterans, you know, whether they were SEALs or they were coming out of the army or the Marine Corps, but similar experiences having deployed overseas, same time period. We were all, and again, this was true for me, searching for, even though we'd taken the uniform off, we were searching for an opportunity to continue to serve in some way, shape or form. And that yeah. that's where carry the load really filled a void for me was being starting an organization that could have a direct impact through our events and, and more importantly through, or just as importantly through the money that we raised on, you know, military 
veterans, their families, first responders. Um, that was something that was critical for me. And, and really, I didn't know it at the time. And but it was imperative for me to find a find a way to continue to serve in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. So I know what carry the load is because uh, I, I saw some of your representatives there at Quantico National Cemetery probably about a month ago when Woody Williams and, and you guys uh, helped dedicate a plaque for uh, not only military veterans and their families at the National Cemetery. But for, for our listeners, I know what it is, but so for our listeners, what is Carry the Load? Carry the Load is a nonprofit uh, based here in Dallas that was born out of the um, desire to restore the meaning of Memorial Day. And I say that in the sense, speaking for a post 9-11, you know, combat veteran. Yeah. When, when Clint, as you referenced earlier, the co-founder of Carry the Load, you know, he had an experience, this is going back 2009, 2010, where he was at a Memorial day gathering, um, in his neighborhood, I believe. And, and, you know, Memorial day typically has been a, a three day weekend that starts the summer. It's a, it's a barbecue. It's a chance to get out of town, nothing wrong with any of those things, but he was at this gathering and there was no, um, there was no talk. There was no remembrance of, there was no discussion around, around, reason that holiday exists and and he and, I, wow. he and i were both coming on the heels of coming off the heels of losing some some friends of ours that we'd served with and so after the after deployment after you guys came yeah, home after, after we came home some guys that we knew that were still in the teams had uh had died and in losing friends coupled with the fact that no one's recognizing or seems to understand what was going on there you know we sat down and, and started talking about an event that we could and again selfishly at the beginning this was an event that was aimed towards veterans it was a it was an opportunity for us to come together and have a meaningful yeah. memorial day experience and what it has turned into over the last nine years and, and again i use the terms the one you know it's less than one percent that have served post 9 11 but it one percent um, in the 99%. And we started, we started this event for the 1%, an opportunity for us to go have a meaningful Memorial day experience. What we didn't calculate was how important to the other 99%, you know, a meaningful Memorial day experience was. And for families, kind of like education standpoint or from, a, well, I, I think from an education standpoint, but also people realizing what that holiday is supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at that, those percentages, 99% not having served, a lot of people don't have that direct connection to the military, yeah. but they know that, you know, what Memorial Day is supposed to mean. So giving people an opportunity, whether they have a direct connection or not, an opportunity or a platform to have a meaningful experience and a way to observe that holiday. And we're one of many meaningful ways to observe that holiday, but it, it has turned into, and our growth over the last nine years has been fueled by, you know, that 99%. And, um, really, Oh, you bet. You know, when you look at, you know, two, in 2011, we had our first event here in Dallas and it was a, it was a 20 hour walk and we had probably five or 600 registered participants. And we raised about a hundred thousand dollars. Here we it's are. Pretty good turnout yeah, for, for, for our first event. First event Absolutely. Here, here we are nine years later, and in eight years, 
we've raised over $22 million for other nonprofits that serve military veteran, their families, law enforcement, fire and rescue personnel. And those nonprofits are scattered across the country. So when you look at that sum of money that we've been able to raise and the amount of money that we've been able to give away to these other, these other nonprofits, that, yeah. that growth is largely fueled. It, we have a, a, a laundry list of, of, of phenomenal that, corporate sponsors that underwrite our events, but the vast yeah. majority of the money that we, we've raised has been through, you know, has been through our, our participants in, in, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, some of the, uh, fundraising software that allows us to, to, uh, grab donations in five, 10, 15, $20 increments from across the country. And that's, it's like the, the single donations are the bulk of your, is the bulk of your money is what you said. Our corporate sponsors under, under our, our events and our, our participants fundraise and, and actually raise the bulk of the money that, that we give away to these other nonprofits. Yeah. And your, your website calls that your continuum of care. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What are some of the other nonprofits that you donate to? We start a process every year uh, in the fall with a volunteer committee here in Dallas who they'll take, um, golly, it's grown over the years, but I think this past year we had 80 to 100 different um, applications from across the country from our from potential nonprofit partners and this committee will spends about three months um, going through that selection process and vetting. And so all I have to say is oh, wow. these nonprofit partners uh, are, are on the spectrum of that continuum of care, whether they are uh, providing medical assistance, job assistance. Uh, you know, we've got a, a number of very unconventional uh, therapies, but our featured partners here in 2219, if you go to carrythelow.org, you can click on continue, continuum of care. But uh, 22 Kill uh, is a group here in Dallas that, that their mission is to create a community that, that really raises awareness and um, resource to combat you know, the, the, the suicide rate that we see from both military and, and veterans. Um, Sure. Pull over in and transitioning. Uh, Sons of the Flag, the Travis Manion Foundation, um, assist the officer. The Gratitude Initiative. Gratitude Initiative is another one that that provides education assistance to Gold Star families. And education assistance being uh, a curriculum that takes these kids um, very early on in their high school careers and gets them ready for. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there for. Uh, college scholarships for gold star kids. Mm. The need that was met through gratitude initiative was, you know, if these, and that's great, but if these kids aren't ready with, um, with the training and the resources that they need to take advantage of those college scholarships, then, then, um, they aren't maximized as effectively as they could be. So a, lo a sure. lot of tools there throughout is they're getting ready for college. So at high school, um, the sheepdog impact assistance, um, a soldier's child foundation. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of them. It sounds there's like a, there's a ton of them. And again, they're, they're, 
they're all across the country and they fall somewhere on that continuum and that continuum, you know, I use that term because there's, there's needs that continuum meaning, meaning more, more direct support. Yeah. There's the continuum, meaning there's a spectrum of needs and, and depending on where a service member is, whether they're still in or they're out transitioning, there's somewhere there's needs along that spectrum that can't be met by one organization. So being able to plug in with yeah. multiple organizations that are doing uh, phenomenal work um, somewhere across that spectrum. And the other thing that we've seen with our nonprofits, nonprofit partners that has evolved over the years is their partnership together and being able to leverage and resources That's off cool. one another um, has been something that, we didn't anticipate, but it's been extremely exciting to see. That's really cool. Um, it's it's nice to hear that there's a vetting process for how you, uh, you know, donate to certain organizations. Yeah, really yeah cool. when you're giving away the, you know, you're giving away the amount of money that we do every year, it, you, you, we realized early on that we had to have a, a process that we could point to and that would could be able to be audited every year. Um, because again, the, the amount of money that we've been able to give away over the year is, is been pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you and Clint should definitely be proud of. Um, it also tells that you give away 93% of your donations. Like the other seven goes to operations and fundraising, but you give away 93% of what you guys have raised. Yes. You know, that it's pretty amazing you know, by nonprofit standards. You always want to, you know, be somewhere around that 10% or less mark. And, and over the, you know, yeah. the past eight years, we've been able to maintain a very, uh, a very lean percentage as far as our, administrative and operating costs. And that, that goes to the fact that we have a, a very small but capable staff here in Dallas and the vast majority of, you know, the, the work that gets done across the country as we, as we head into May with all of our events that will happen here in 2019 is. Yeah. It's coming, it's coming right around the corner. You're big, the big day. The yeah, big day. You bet it. So, so. so the, the vast majority of that work, when you look at all the people that are working on our behalf are, you know, myself included are, are volunteers. You know, as a veteran, uh, you know, when you're in the Marine Corps or now even in the government, uh, I, I'm always a, take part of the CFC campaign. So like that 93 percent, that 93 percent, you know, you always look at our flipping through that book and go, OK, who's actually spending the money on the people that they're, they're supposed to be caring for and who's actually, you know, at 50 percent operating costs, you know. So it's good to see uh, a nonprofit that says, hey, 93 percent of our our money that is donated to us, we give back to a nonprofit that's actually going to use it. Um so what are, what are some of the programs that you, uh, you guys either do? What are some programs you guys either do with the money or that you donate to? Our programs are the vast majority of our, our program expense is, um, aimed at our events during the month of May. We yeah. have, and here we are in 2019, we'll have three national relays that are kicking off, um, that will kick off in the, in the first week of May one, uh, and that's your partnership with the NCA, correct? Yes, th- th- that is part of the partnership with the NCA um, participation in the highlighting of different stories um, that we'll tell throughout those three national relays. But one which will be coming down the East Coast that we've had for the last seven years, one for the last five years on the West Coast, starting in Seattle, 
And then for the first time, we'll have one kicking off in Minneapolis that will be our Midwest leg. But all of those culminating in, in all of those being billboards for not only carry the load, but the Memorial Day holiday and all of those three yeah. national relay legs will culminate in Dallas with our flagship event here in Dallas, uh, Memorial Day weekend. So it's a relay. What if someone wants to, if someone sees this relay, what, what are they seeing? What, it, what does it look like? Um, can a person participate? How can they do that? They, they can go to carry the load.org. And when you go to our events, there's an events page there and you can go to national relay and then you can filter by East coast, West coast, Midwest, and you keep drilling down and you will see mile by mile, uh, our leg, Again, going from New York to Dallas, Seattle to Dallas, and Minneapolis to Dallas. And we have a a rally point every five miles along those legs. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting how these relays have evolved over the years. In our first national relay in 2012 on the East Coast, you know, we were in a small little rented RV and you know, we, we had some decent participation with us, people showing up at these rally points to walk and to, um, to p- participate with us, to tell us the stories of those that they were impacted by, that um, some of them had made the ultimate sacrifice. And so over the years, that, that through our corporate sponsors, we have grown really our, our participation could look like a couple hundred people at a particular rally. Um, you know, in a major metropolitan area, uh, at one of these rally points, you bet. And I've had others where, you know, I've been at rally points in the middle of the night in, in, you know, small town, Tennessee and had people show up at 12 AM and jump out of the car to go walk five, five miles with me to talk about their son, their nephew, their brother, their friend that they lost. And, you know, they heard about carry the load and they, they wanted to participate as a way to honor, again, those, those friends, those loved ones who've, who've made the ultimate sacrifice. So today we've got, you know, I mentioned early on, we had these small rented RVs. Today we've got large touring buses with small dedicated staff <laughs> that handles the logistics and the media and the PR and all the things that, that need to happen to make these events possible. But Again, the vast majority of our in in 2018 across the country, both with our relays, our rally and our event uh, in Dallas, we we had in excess of of 50,000 people participate with us across the country. So um, it's It's there's a lot of different a lot of different ways that looks depending on on where you are. Gotcha. And these relays, they're kind of like. kind of like an olympic torch relay correct like it's somebody carrying a flag you bet they, walking through thousands of miles you right bet. these when these relays kick off in, in the respective cities we discussed that flag will never stop 24 7 until it gets to dallas memorial day weekend and again our, our our rally points generally are are you know we cover two hours uh, excuse me, we cover five miles about every two hours. So those rally points are, are staggered and strategically located so that we can hopefully maximize participation through, through some of the more densely popula- populated areas across the country. Gotcha. So these, these relay points, they're just kind of a, a little bit of a rest area and maybe a handoff point for the flight. You're exactly right. They're, they're a, gotcha. a brief rest or, and a handoff and the, and, and the ability for, for, 
for people to have a, a definitive stop and start for, for planning purposes. Got you. How do you select your relay participants? Uh, it's interesting how that has evolved over the years. Um, yeah. Early on, we had a partnership with a small college in, in Southern Georgia. And it was through a relationship we had with um, the dean of the business school at, at this small school. And he would help us plan, but he would also give his students the opportunity to get course credit for uh, the planning and execution of this relay. And so through those relationships over the years, it, it, for, for a number of years, it was all college kids that ran these relays. And, and since then, we still rely on some student interns, but those kids who've been doing it or those some key kids that did, did it over the years are still um, coming back every year to help us plan and execute uh, oh, these wow. relays. And so we've... They're, they're basically coming back and they're saying, I want the, these, these 10 miles here in this part of the, ray, ray, uh, this part of the relay? Or? No, the, I'm, I was referencing the, the, our team that will live and take part in and execute Roger. the relay from start to finish. Our Roger. participants are, will come from all of these communities and cities that we walk through. And, okay. and, and again, that will, the, that participation has grown every year in every city that we've been to. A good example is, you know, JP Morgan Chase is our lead national sponsor. When we go through New York city, we have a rally point at their, at their headquarters there on, uh, I believe it's, uh, there on park Avenue. And right. we'll have a, a couple hundred people from JP Morgan chase that will walk from their, from their building on park, uh, down with us through the city. And, and the next rally point historically has been the nine 11 Memorial there. And so, you know, we'll have, nice. I think we've had two to 300 people out on that leg before. Uh, always one of them more popular legs and more, again, extremely impactful leg, given where we end there at the nine 11 Memorial and, and, um, and then, like I said, we'll have other legs that were, you know, in, in small town America, we've had, there's a, there's a town in Tennessee, Laverne, Tennessee, that literally shuts down the town every year when we come through and their military, their law enforcement, their their fire and rescue and, and literally the vast majority of the town comes out to walk with us as we go through that town. So you really get a, you really get a different slice or flavor of participation and what that relay looks like, depending on where you are. Sure. Absolutely. That sounds like a really, really great, uh, you know, I'd be interested to see the, the leg when it comes through walk me through how you guys started with the, the national cemetery administration, how you partnered with them and what is that part of the relay? That partnership was born um, through it is it is evolved over the years, but really as we looked at uh, some of our potential rally points and the opportunity to walk through some um, to stop at and and, and and or walk through some national cemeteries and honor you know yeah. friends or relationships that we had through carry the load. Um, those in going through some of that approval process, it got elevated through the chain of command on the NCA side and, and with our executive director, um, being able to tell them what we were doing and why we were doing it. And it was, uh, it, it evolved 
kind of organically and naturally. And, and when they figured out what Carry the Low was about and being able to tell stories uh, about people who've made the ultimate sacrifice, it, 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 oh, awesome. it made sense for a partnership. And so this year throughout the month of May, um, they will be highlighting, you know, 30 different stories and telling those stories of a little bit about these individuals. And, and again, these are individuals that have served and they've made the ultimate sacrifice and, and both through carry the load NCA and through the, through social media, we'll be, we'll be telling those stories, you know, one every day throughout the month. And again, going back to the percentages I said earlier, the 99% and the 1%, a lot of people out there in the United States don't have that direct connection to those that have served, but they, they understand the importance of, um, that service and sacrifice and, and have yeah. really helped us in telling those stories. You were talking about the, the other 99%, uh, part of the arm of carry, uh, there's another part of arm of carry the load. That's your education arm. Uh, talk to me about what that is. Uh, it looks like you go to some schools, you do some education about the flag, um, how, how, what is your involvement with in, in the education of arm of carry the load? That, that program is called carry the flag. And again, that's an, that has grown organically as we've grown the last nine years. And it, it really grew out of being asked to come speak to schools, um, different groups, um, a lot of kids about what carry the load is and about Memorial day and, and, and what service and sacrifice looks like. And it was happening on such a regular basis that we put a curriculum around um, what it means, what it means to serve, what Memorial Day is all about. And then ultimately there's a, there's curriculum around patriotism and our flag and, and how lucky and blessed we are to live here in the United States. Um, Absolutely. And so that, that's another program that again, grew out of, um, grew very organically out of speaking engagements that we were asked to come and, and talk about carry the load. And is that nationwide or do you just stick to the Dallas region on that? Um, can a, can a middle school in, in Washington state uh, request a, you guys to come out there and, and speak? Yes. And generally right. it grew um, out of opportunities here in Dallas, but has really grown across the country and Okay. We have cha what I call champions that will spearhead these efforts uh, in different communities across the country. And we will send them um, the curriculum and the tools and resources they need to be able to implement this program. And uh, it's something that we uh, have, have uh, spent a lot of time and volunteers putting that curriculum together. And, and so if anyone is interested in that, they can go to carry the load.org and click on that carry the, the carry the flag program to learn more about how they could uh, get involved there as well. That's important. Uh, I, that's just so important to see, um, you know, especially, you know, you, you got to start them young, right? You got to start at an early age to really have them understand what, what our flag actually means. And, and yeah. And for me personally, again, this was what I always tell people was an unintended consequence, but that first year at carry the load, my oldest two kids were, uh, six and four. Yeah. And all they remember is going out to an event and seeing dad who'd been running and walking for 20 hours, uh, and extremely exhausted, but dad was, <laughs> you know, dad had a, a weight vest on with pictures of friends, 
who had made the ultimate sacrifice. And so, again, at six and four, they didn't they didn't get it. But as they've grown, and now, uh, you know, those two are thirteen and eleven with three younger ones behind them. But one of the highlights of our year as a family is is carry the load every year. And as they've gotten older, you know, it's probably when those two were eight and six, nine and seven, when I started to get some very, uh, very interesting questions about, you know, dad wins carry the load and why are all these people gathering and who, you know, we have these storyboards throughout these events, not only on a relay, but here at our event in Dallas with, you know, like I said, telling the stories of people that have made the ultimate sacrifice. So getting some some pretty interesting questions at a young age where they can wrap their head around what we're doing and why we're out there. And from, from my family, again, carry the load is I get this time of year, I'll start starting getting questions every day about when's carry the load because our event in Dallas, our flagship event is a, is a very family friendly event. It's very, uh, very celebratory, very festive, a lot of kids activities, but at the same time, there's the opportunity for that, for, um, for it to be somber as well. But going back to your question about educating the next generation that for my family grew very organically, but we've realized how important it is to educate that next generation, um, about the importance of, of service and sacrifice and and what that means to our country. Steven, is there one thing that, that you learned from your time in the Navy that you utilize today? Oh, I think there's, there's a lot of different things. Um, sure. That's a, that's an easy question. It was very tough to try to distill it down to one thing. Sure. You know, I, I think the one thing that I try to, that I try to think about every day, you know, no matter, um, no, well, maybe two things. No, no matter how tough my day <laughs> might seem with, you know, job, um, volunteer commitments, uh, you know, raising a family and, and all the logistics and time and, and things that go into our daily life. You know, I think about friends of mine that don't have that opportunity that made the ultimate sacrifice and, and how lucky I am to, um, Amen. how lucky I am to have that. And the other thing going back to, you know, the SEAL community and what really started in buds is, um, you know, both good and bad days, no matter what, just to keep up, to keep the proper perspective and, uh, just taking things one day at a time. That's awesome. Steven, is there anything that I didn't ask or, or anything that I'm not thinking of that you'd like to share? I, if I could try to put a bow around our conversation, carry the load was born out of anger, frustration, sadness, and it has blossomed and grown into a national movement where, um, people that don't have that direct connection can, can come out and have a meaningful Memorial day experience. And those, um, and through those events, we, we raise a lot of money for military and veteran personnel and law enforcement, fire and rescue personnel. And 
it's a it's a very unique experience. If people haven't ever participated, I would just encourage you to go to carrytheload.org and to learn more about what we do. And if you're so inclined, would love to have you participate, uh, donate, or volunteer with us somewhere across the country. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. I want to thank Steve and Holly for taking the time to be on the show this week and allowing us to learn more about Carry the Load. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Navy veteran Mark Allen Lee. Mark enlisted in the United States Navy SEAL program in 2001. During the course of the program, Mark developed pneumonia and was forced to drop out. In 2004, after deploying as an aviation ordnance technician aboard an aircraft carrier, Mark returned to SEAL training. He went on to complete the program in November of 2004 and was assigned to Charlie Platoon, Task Unit Bruiser of SEAL Team 3. Mark and his platoon were deployed to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. In 2006, Mark and his fellow Navy SEALs joined U.S. and Iraqi soldiers in support of an offensive against an insurgent stronghold in Ramadi, Iraq. During one engagement, Mark and his team came under intense fire from heavily armed and aggressive insurgent forces. In an effort to protect his fellow teammates, Mark exposed himself to direct fire and engaged the enemy with his machine gun. During his efforts to protect his fellow service members, Mark was fatally wounded. Mark was laid to rest at Fort Rosencrans National Cemetery in San Diego, California, and he was the first Navy SEAL to be killed while deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. In addition to a Bronze Star of Valor and a Purple Heart, Mark was posthumously awarded the Silver Star for his actions. We honor his service. That's it for this week's Born the Battle. If you would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can always reach us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>